Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 11 and a half, a bonus episode, a palate cleanser, if you will. We have some good stuff to hold you over to next week. First up, we have a special edition of Buzz History, and we'll follow that up with part two of our interview with Dr. Andrew. Stay tuned for next week, where we'll dive into all the great Discord questions we've been getting. We're loving the clever anonymous handles, by the way. Keep those coming. And we have some new segments and a really special topic that we know you're going to dig. So without further ado, let's get into some buzzed history. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a special bonus edition of Buzzed History. Today, we're going to explore a topic that came up in our very popular episode 10 with special guest Professor Mark M. Cogman. In the episode, Professor Cogman mentioned the lack of public knowledge of what is now called the Osage murders, which occurred in Oklahoma in the 1920s. There's not a great deal of current conversation around the injustice surrounding the Native Americans, and so we thought this was an important topic to explore. First, a little background on the Osage Nation. Osage, roughly translated to calm water, is a tribe of the Great Plains who had developed in the Ohio and Mississippi River Valleys around 700 BC. They migrated west after the 17th century due to tribal wars, and ultimately controlled the area between the Missouri and Red Rivers and depended on nomadic buffalo hunting and agriculture. They were incredibly tall for the time, well, for any time really, some tribe members reaching into the seven-foot range. The missionary Isaac McCoy described the Osage as a, quote, uncommonly fierce, courageous, warlike nation and the, quote, finest-looking Indians I have ever seen in the West. In the 19th century, the Osage were forced by the United States to cede well over four million acres of their land and eventually were removed from their lands in Kansas. They didn't leave empty-handed, though, as they ultimately sold the remainder of their lands to President Ulysses Grant and his administration for $1.25 an acre. They used this money to purchase a reservation of 1,470,000 acres in present-day Oklahoma, which is where their descendants live today and also where we begin our story. Let's go back to the Roaring Twenties, the Jazz Age, Prohibition, Babe Ruth, F. Scott Fitzgerald, the post-World War I economic boom, and the first big case of the FBI. It is within that context that we shift our attention to previously mentioned Oklahoma. The Osage Indians, having been driven from their lands in Kansas by the government, purchased and settled in a large plot of land specifically in northeastern Oklahoma in the early 1870s. It was a seemingly barren land that was purchased exactly for that purpose, as they hoped to finally be left alone. It was also the reason that the Osage were able to retain the mineral rights on the land, while that and their principal chief, James Bigheart, who was getting very good at negotiating with the U.S. government. Massive quantities of oil were found in 1894, which caused a great deal of trouble for the Osage. There were agent issues and government issues, and the Osage were forced in every conceivable direction, as everyone wanted them out of the area for obvious reasons. They finally reached a deal in 1907, wherein they retained communal mineral rights on the reservation lands. This stated that all persons listed on the tribal rolls prior to 1906, or born before July 1907, would be allocated a share of the reservation's subsurface natural resources, and this head right could be inherited by legal heirs and was due to expire in 1926. Between 1907 and 1923, con artists and businessmen flooded the area, attempting to grab some of the wealth seeping from the dirt. Despite early attempts by the U.S. government and untold numbers of bootleggers and criminals come to steal their wealth, the Osage Indians became the wealthiest people in the entire nation and the richest people per capita in the entire world, receiving what would be over $400 million today. They lived in mansions, had chauffeured cars, sent their kids to private schools, bought fancy clothes and jewelry, traveled to Europe, had servants, most of whom were white, by the way, and this was the beginning of the end. The prejudice that rained down on the Osage in response to their wealth was swift, stunning, and criminal. Harper's Monthly is quoted as printing, The Osage Indians are becoming so rich that something will have to be done about it. Congress then held hearings about what the country could do in response. 
Their answer came in the form of a law requiring any Osage of half or more Indian ancestry to be appointed a guardian until proving, quote, competency. Of course, these guardians would collect a fee and would have to approve every single Osage purchase. This program invited more corruption as a great deal of Osage lost land, head rights, and royalties. One government study reported that at least $27 million was being held by the Guardian system in 1929, and $8 million was stolen entirely by the Guardians. Now, as I mentioned earlier, shares of the oil money could not be sold by the Osage to white settlers, but they could be inherited. What began then was a series of plots to marry and murder Osage spouses, which evolved into greater and more dire threats. For example, on May 27, 1921, local hunters discovered the body of 36-year-old Anna Brown in a remote ravine of Osage County. Local authorities ruled her death as accidental, due to alcohol poisoning, and set the case aside. Her estate was then awarded to her mother, Lizzie Q. Kyle, who, after inheriting the head rights from her late husband and two daughters, was also killed, but not before Charles Whitehorn, Anna Brown's cousin, was killed as well. On February 6, 1923, Henry Roan Horse, another cousin of Anna Brown, was found in his car, dead from a shot to the head. On March 10, 1923, a bomb exploded the house of Anna's sister, Rita Smith, and her husband, Bill. On June 28, 1923, George Bigheart was put on a train, brought to a doctor, and diagnosed with drinking poisoned whiskey, which would ultimately kill him the next morning. Even more Osage began to die under mysterious circumstances as entire families were picked off one by one on a weekly basis. Gunshot wounds, poison, bombs, and disappearances became commonplace as the systematic murder unfolded across the Osage land. Even white attorneys who attempted to help were killed under mysterious circumstances. Like W.W. Vaughn, who was called in by George Bigheart to help investigate the murders, was thrown off a speeding train as he traveled back from meeting with Bigheart. In 1923, after the official death toll climbed to over 24, the Bureau of Investigation, then a small branch of the Justice Department, took the case, initially fumbling their first few attempts at cracking it. J. Edgar Hoover, then 29, eventually took notice and appointed a man named Tom White, a former Texas Ranger and old frontier lawman, to take over. Tom White instituted an undercover team and followed the money to capture a few of the killers. But by 1925, at least 60 wealthy Osage had been killed, and their land had been inherited to their guardians, who were made up of, you probably guessed it, mostly white lawyers and businessmen. The FBI reported finding an entire low-level market in murderers for hire to kill the Osage for their wealth. Despite changes of venue, hung juries, appeals, and overturned verdicts, life sentences were ultimately handed out to rancher William Hale, his nephews, and one of the ranch hands for the murder of Molly Kyle, another daughter of Lizzie Kyle and wife to one of William Hale's nephew and her family. The cases were closed, even though the killers of all the original 24 murders were never accounted for. Hale and his crew later received parole, by the way. In 1925, Congress passed a law in an attempt to protect the Osage, prohibiting non-Osage from inheriting head rights from Osage who had half or more Native American ancestry. But the law came far too late. The damage had been done, although the true extent may never fully be known and most certainly will never be repaired. The Osage would continue to receive fees from the U.S. Department of the Interior, and in the year 2000, the tribe filed a lawsuit against the department, alleging that federal management of the assets had resulted in severe losses to its trust funds and interest income. In 2011, the U.S. government settled with the Osage for $380 million, resulting in the largest trust settlement with one tribe in U.S. history. Now, these stories are part of the fabric of our country, and in the interest of not repeating our past sins, we should continue to tell them. We should share them, and we should make them commonplace so that they aren't forgotten. This is not in an effort to soil the name or good standing of our country. This is in an effort to tell the real history of our country, to show how far we've come and how far we still have to go. So I urge you, down the middle listeners, send this to everyone you know and tell them what happened here. Tell them we will not forget. And with that being said, 
So goes another buzzed history. Buzzed history. All right, everyone. So that does it for buzzed history for this week. Next up, part two of our interview with Dr. Andrew. So kick off your shoes and enjoy. I mean, I've called myself for years a progressive capitalist. So, so what does that know, mean? Uh, what it means is uh, capitalism sort of revisited. You know, what I do think that means is that capitalism for all is what you're talking about. We're basically talking about the same thing. What you want is more equity for everyone. What I'm saying is that the vehicle to getting everyone equity is not less capitalism, but more capitalism implemented in a different way. I, you know what? The same amount of capitalism implemented in a different way would be a start. Less capitalism implemented in a different way would also be a start. The, the issue is that it has to be absolutely different than what it is now. I mean, I don't agree. I don't disagree with the fact that I shouldn't have to know how to make bread and know how to make clothes and know how to make a house and know how to you know, make shoes that I can rely on other people to provide these services to me and use currency to, you know, as a, as a means of trust that, yeah, I, I understand and I, and I agree with the practical aspects of capitalism, but in, in, in what way could you ever justify that Bezos, for example, deserves a hundred billion dollars? Like, what I, I put that I put that incorrectly. What amount of work could you do to make you rightfully earn a hundred billion dollars? You personally, a single individual person. Backing up, let me ask you a question. Do you have you went through what fifteen years of the medical school system to become a doctor? Twelve, fifteen years. When all is said and done, but with, with your residencies and your what do you have to do after the fellowship? Right. Yeah. So ten years. Okay. 10 years, okay? And you spent, you had to take out a ton of loans to get yourself through that, sure. right? If you didn't know, if you didn't have the confidence that when that was all over, that you were going to make a certain income that was going to keep you and your family comfortable, do you think you would have put yourself through yeah, all that? Yeah, but that's the problem. Like, why am that's I- capitalism. Yeah, but why am I spending a quarter of a million dollars on medical school in general? Like, there's, there's, there's no reason that has to happen. And I would gladly, I would gladly take a pay cut if I knew that, yeah, I, I got, you know, if I worked in a certain area or whatever, I, I, I fulfilled certain requirements that my, my education would not cost that much. I mean, that's a, a revamping of the entire system, you know, from you could keep going down. Yeah, this is this is a burn it down and build it up. <laughs> right, exactly. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. You can't fix the system from within the system. So this That's is like Bernie Sanders thing. Right. Yeah. So this is why this is why uh, you know Harris uh was not going to work cuz she you know she's very staunchly capitalist. It's not gonna, it's just not going to happen. Too. Yeah. I mean yeah. Um But she was. I mean that was a that was a big a big uh thing for Bernie people especially like Hillary Clinton's more conservative than Trump. Oh, absolutely. She's like, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, and that's an interesting, yeah, but yeah, I mean, like Trump is not, but Trump is not, an, I mean, you've said this, like he has no ideology. He's, he does whatever he needs to do to, to yeah, whatever get gets him, him the win. Yeah. Not even the win, the attention. I just think, dude, um, if you really research it and break it all down, like let's, okay, let's take the Bezos thing for a second. He was a middle-class guy, which you've heard many stories of, of people who grew up who grew up without money and you know make it. He simply created a a a great product 
that people exchange their money voluntarily for. He doesn't force anyone to buy his products. People just do because they're easier. As far as why he needs to make that much money, I think he needs he deserves the money that he earns. However, a progressive capitalist like myself will say that he also needs to pay a ton more taxes. So yeah, you could you could take those two different things there. You could say I could say at the same time that the guy deserves all the money that he has earned for creating a better product than anyone else that can get to you faster and cheaper than you can get it anywhere else. But at the same time, he also needs to to, to pay more in taxes. Yeah, I'm I'm that's that's a good first step. Andrew, just out of curiosity, would, would you take that further and say he should be required to either pay more, not just in taxes? Pay more into the um, charity system, for example. Is is that where no? You, I I I I'm, I think he should pay taxes. I'm I'm very skeptical of the uh, non for profit not for profit foundations along the lines of Bill Gates mm. and and uh, Bezos and whoever else because it basically it circumvents. It's a tax. Yeah, show, essentially, it's it is. It's 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 another way of just protecting yourself. And that's why I mean that's for example that's why the Cokes got into philanthropy. Because it was the easiest way to protect their money for you know their their further generations, so it it was really I mean there was no nothing virtuous about it. What is the what would be the step further for you from someone like Bezos who pays his tax? Let's he say pays he taxes. pays more in taxes. That that's done. What is there a further step for you? Do you you said as a good first step? What's taking it further for you? Out of curiosity, unionizing is work, allowing his workers to unionize. Um, I mean basically giving rights and power back to labor. Yeah. See, but, but even, even that, you know, I would say in a free market system, um, he doesn't force anyone to work for him. You can work for him. But th- th- this is why I actually think capitalism is the cure for all this stuff, because what capitalism enables somebody, another company to do is say, hey, don't work for Amazon. We'll pay you X amount more and give you X amount more benefits. So then it puts it actually puts more power into the workers' hands because they can choose. Amazon is specifically designed; it, it is designed to, uh, you know, investigate the the strengths of these companies that a are you know are in a lot of cases just outgunned by their own you know personal ability to offer their services so they have to use someone like amazon and amazon immediately becomes predatory and figures out what they are offering and how they're doing it and figures out a way to do it cheaper and better and then puts that company out of business so those people have to come work for amazon because they have lost their small business i do think in our day we're going to see the breakup of a lot of these larger companies whether that's amazon or google or i mean google sort of happened a little bit but tesla i I think i think we're either going to see that or we're going to basically see closing of everything else yeah pretty much you know education brought to you by microsoft and yeah i mean you also have to think pre-covid let's pretend covid never existed because that's all it's a whole different world before covid but amazon has sort of ushered in this what I think of as the golden age of consumerism, because as a as a dude in L.A. with two kids, it is amazing for me to get on my phone, which, by the way, the phone itself, the iPhone itself is a product is a perfect example of capitalism, because this phone would cost like a thousand dollars or more if it if capitalism wasn't 
Doesn't it cost a thousand dollars? Maybe that, I should have said ten thousand dollars, <laughs> but it would cost a lot more if if we weren't getting products from around the world. That's all part of capitalism, right? Getting cheap labor, you know that that's all even from other countries. It, that's all factored in. But the fact that I could go onto my phone and get groceries even during a pandemic, um, and they show up at my door like three hours later, and they're cheaper than when I go to Ralph's and I don't have to interface with anyone is a pretty incredible thing for the consumer. So you have to think about the benefit that capitalism has given to us. We all walk around with freaking computers in our pockets, even people who are poor. You know, that's all products of capitalism. That's true, but it also, I mean, there's, it's a zero-sum game, right? So if you're getting a $1,000 phone, it means that some 12-year-old is, you know, their fingers are picked to the bone to put that phone together. I mean, it's a matter of, how you how you evaluate human life this is why you know the 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 thing i the thing we we discussed the other day about uh capitalism being racist i mean it 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 is by definition it requires the a, a caste system um and it requires that a certain uh group of people has to um suffer for the benefit of another group of people well see i think you're conflating societal inequities that have kept the black community unable to participate in capitalism with capitalism itself. And by the way, that's where I think that's where I think you both are agreeing. I think you are both seeing that error in the system and saying this needs to be addressed and those walls in order for capitalism to truly work, those walls need to be removed. That's where I, that's where I see the the the, the similarities in, in both of what you're yeah, saying. It's in other words, it's an imperfect argument you're making because you are taking out the factor that our government and government policies have specifically attacked the black community in a way that has prevented them from being able to contribute to the capitalist system by and large, outside of exceptions. What I'm saying is that more capitalism is the answer to, to, to that equality that you're talking about. Because what they need is, what, what the black community, what the brown community, what, what poor communities in general need is more access to capital, the same things that we, and more opportunities. All of those things will then bring them into the capitalist system where they will thrive and have businesses and ownership and everything else. Right, but, but government as it stands today is, is utterly beholden to corporate interest and as is given hundreds of millions of dollars to create the infrastructure that we have and to decide where the oil refineries go and dictate where you know what people live in the communities that that live next to the oil refineries um they you know in the 50s you know they you know, you know the whole story—the redlining of and course, and, and Levittown yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, and that stuff we a hundred percent agree on. So we could we could agree there. That, but that that those are societal inequities. Those, those but are capitalism systems. is not is not separate from that. I mean, they they are intrinsically linked in that. I mean, think about Moses and 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 you know everything he did, uh, and every dime he made uh, had a had a the uh, stain of. Of subjugation on it like i see what you're saying and i think it's indicative of an entire generation that sees capitalism as exploitative as you're sort of saying but what when you really break it down what capitalism all it really means is ownership over what you make and everyone wants ownership over you can't go if you went into 
anyone's house and said, if you made a product or a service, don't you think you should benefit from that? That's all it really means. What you're saying is that the tenets of capitalism have disallowed certain communities to to uh, participate in them. It's differentiating between the present situation and the right. ideology. So that's, I mean, but you, could, you can make the same, same argument for, for communism, right? That the, you know, everybody is equal and everybody shares and everything, but that's saying, that's like saying, you know, communism and Stalinism are the same thing or that national, you know, socialism on a national scale, i.e. national socialism is, uh, is, is a wonderful thing. I mean, it sounds like a great thing. The difference is that those, the, pe- it, the difference is that people are in charge of it and that people are corrupt. And the people, and the people who but government is more corrupt. Government is oh, is historically more corrupt than people, than, than the citizen, than John Q. citizen, if you will. Government in its in in the in the pure sense, in the abstract sense. No, I, I'm I'm saying government, like when we're talking about the distinction between communism or national socialism with capitalism. What capitalism is, is it puts the ownership in, this, uh, uh, in the hands of the citizens, whereas socialism and communism and national socialism put all of the ownership in the hands of the government. And I just, as, it, this is why it's such an interesting thing to me, because you're a musician. So I think you probably are, a, you know, and you're an artist. So you innately, like me and like Jay, probably have a very healthy skepticism of the controlling body whether that's the government or whether that's a record label or what. And I find that so many of our young contemporaries, and not that we're that young anymore, but you know, people around our age have fallen for this socialism thing when it actually gives so much more power to that controlling entity. The problem is, I mean, the, the, well, first, I'm going to correct you. I am a failed artist. Um, but secondly, <laughs> we'll the, join the club. The, yeah. the, the issue yeah. being that yeah, the shortcoming of any of of these institutions is the people who are put in charge of enacting them. So, why I mean, capitalism is no better in that sense because it attracts people who are you know ambitious and uh, careerist, just like government does. And yeah, you're right. I mean, left to its own devices, government has uh, has often failed people uh, more often than not. I would say. And that's why uh, every inch of of civil rights that we've gotten is is because of people of, of like on the ground grassroots people. If it if it comes down to putting those people, and you know, you could argue that that once you get into that position of power, you get corrupted by the power. But you know, you know, that's then the argument just becomes moot. Um, but you know, the the notion that People being truly represented by uh, by individuals with their interests at heart, and not representatives who who uh, take their their mandate and just do whatever the hell they want with it. Yeah, see, but that's how I see socialism as the person in charge is not necessarily working in their best interest. They're working in the interest of their own power. But in capitalism, it's fair because when you are guided by profit, you're actually, you're not guided by any other kind of ulterior motive. And there's, you know, I just don't demonize money in that way. I think it's like, for instance, let's take this COVID crisis. You, t- you take someone like Bill Gates, 
who's in a private sector, he has contributed more to uh, to the fighting of this virus as a capitalist than any government agency has. Wouldn't you agree? In terms of the money he's able to put, the the amount of resources he can he could put towards it, the the uh, less red tape he has to go through. But you're relying completely on his his sense that he has some sort of mission to to throw money at this, right? So, like for every Bill Gates, there's a a bizarro Bill Gates who decides that he's going to uh, put massive amounts of resources into you know convincing third world countries that they're causing uh, global warming and convince them all that they have to, uh, they, you know, shouldn't have any more children. I tricked you. That's the real Bill Gates. <laughs> I knew you were going to say, I, you didn't trick me because I kind of knew uh, it was going that's there. Great. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, like this is, this is a no brainer, right? Like you have money, everybody's dying. Your consumers are dying. You can throw money at it. it lo- you look like a hero. Great. This is not every situation is as black and white as this. Like you said, every scientist in the world is mobilized towards fighting the coronavirus because it, I mean, it's a matter of our existence to, to some degree or, or uh, at least a decimation of, of our existence. L- listen, if there's a corporation that is going to help fight coronavirus only for the outcome of the fact that I will then be able to buy their product and instead of being dead where I can't buy their product, I'm all for that. To me, that's a good part. Right, if that's capitalism. what pushes the free market, then right. fine. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And, and this, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that, but, but that's what I'm saying is coronavirus is a no brainer. But when it comes to letting people have some agency in, in, in their lives and being able to go out and, uh, and not worrying about getting shot for having a busted taillight. Uh, you know, that's as much capitalism as, as anything else is. Yeah. See, I make a distinction there, but we could go back and forth about this. Yeah. And it's hard to talk about in the ether because historically, when you talk about socialism and money, a, a large swaths of money coming into a government, there's been pockets lined sure. in that and situation yeah. too. So it's, there's no you know, perfect scenario. It's hard to talk about. Right. We talk about in this episode the different health systems in the world. And one of the things I bring up is the Canadian system where you know, it's consider- people who live in Canada love their health care. Uh, they're born into it. It's universal. It's affordable. But it is not high-quality care, uh, especially given that there are government bureaucrats who oversee the rationing of that care. So in America, if you need an MRI for as, and believe me, our healthcare system has a ton of problems too. But in America, if you need an MRI, you can essentially go in and get your MRI if you can pay for it, right? In Canada, if you need an MRI and your neighbor needs one more, there is a group of government bureaucrats who decides that. And that is what is icky to me if for lack of a better more term. power given to the government more power given regard. to yeah. people who aren't me and i don't like that to me it's inherently if you're an anti-establishment punk rocker you inherently should be more libertarian and less socialist so i think th- so i find this really funny like this this basically we are living in the nightmare of libertarianism it is as far as i'm concerned libertarianism is like a 13 year old kid 
saying you're not the boss of me. <laughs> well, to a certain extent, yes, yes. Well, the stupid libertarianism, but I'm talking about libertarian on the role of government, which is basically the less government, the better. I'm not yeah, talking about deal, like deal no, with sort no, of the fiscal issues and right. Yeah, you know, I'm not social saying issues like, will be left to the people. Yes, exactly. Like no seatbelt laws anymore or no driver's licenses or, you know, any like if you look at the libertarian charter, it's absolutely insane. They want no laws at all. They're basically anarchists. But where but where does where does the where does the fiscal stuff uh end and the social stuff begin? The the fiscal stuff is is up to the government and free market. The social stuff I just think is better suited for family, community, and everyone like it used to be if you needed money for like if you you know if you were down now if you lost your job the first people you would go to is your immediate family if they couldn't give you money then you would go to your uh community whether it was your religious community or your town or you know you would you or your friends or whatever um when you that's still better than going all the way up to the chain to the government right because that's giving way too much power to these people that are in charge and i know I think you're sort of conflating the lords of capitalism with the federal government. You're saying, well, what's really the difference? There's people who are overseeing the capitalist system that are essentially doing the same thing. That's why I'm a progressive capitalism capitalist, because I believe it, that part needs to progress. Like we need to have more people like Bill Gates, more people like you know that are taking open advantage. the system up to a greater amount of people so that exactly. they can have access to but the, it. But but the but the answer is not give more power to the government. That's not the answer. Right, but you give more power. I mean, at what point do does Bill Gates turn around and be like, "Haha, just kidding," and I have all the money, so I can say that this is the way it's going to be. It's it's very Bill Gates is a very interesting thing because he is so demonized by both the right and the left. There there's crossover. He is is the product of a very savvy PR campaign post retirement. He was, I mean, he, you know, his his business business tactics when he was Microsoft were along the lines of you know your your um, your robber barons, you know, in the turn of the century, where you know monopolizing and and uh, and just just the most predatory practices you you can imagine, and then he retired. And he just recreated himself as this benevolent uh, billionaire who was going to say solve all of our problems. Well, he also did create technologies, and this is the interesting thing for Bernie people. Again, let's pretend COVID never happened. If you, if we died in 1995, right, like around the time when you and I met, right, yeah, and came back today again pre-COVID, and realized the amount of information we have access to, the fact that, again, we walk around with computers in our pocket, that I could go on my phone and order food from any restaurant in the city, and it gets delivered to my doorstep. All of these things, I, I really do believe that even in a, the span of 20 years, you'd say, is this heaven? I mean, it, it's, it's magical, right? That is a, a now, that, that's not to say that there aren't downfalls to all that stuff too like it has made us less socially aware of each other our kids you know if you let your kids use too much technology they start going crazy you know so there, there are but, but i'm saying generally again we're in this sort of golden age of consumerism that has been that has made our lives objectively better than they were 20 years ago again pre-covid i mean you could argue that at any stage of of civilization since the agricultural revolution right but 
but and, but and that's capital right but also <laughs> i think i think that's essentially not true i mean we we've, we've we've specialized ourselves into obsolescence to a large degree uh no one person is able to do even you know the, the bare minimum of things beyond make it from one day to the next i think uh in a large part because they have outsourced it all i think we are we are given permission to uh, engage in capitalism only as much as it allows us to give people our money and reap the sort of bare minimum benefits of a stable existence. And in doing so, we've given up uh, the large majority of our freedom um, and the large majority. And I don't think it has anything to do with government. I think it has to do with the fact that, you know, we are we're like, hey, oh, oh, this this cool app makes my face look like a bear. Here's my social security number. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I think our brain, our brains, our brain. You know, twenty years of technological advancement is you know, in in the con in the context of of uh, mental evolution. Uh, you know, we we have no idea. This I think the net I think the net uh, effect is going to be uh, catastrophic. I think it feels good. It's basically, I mean, it all feels good. You know, my phone is awesome every time I check it 10 times a minute. But I know that it's, it's, it's destroying me. It's destroying my attention span. And it's destroying my they interpersonal relationships. They said the same about the Beatles, though. They did. Well, they did say that. Yeah, I mean. They really did. No, seriously. But you do have the freedom to go and get a flip phone. If you feel personally that you or your family are being harmed by this technology. You have the freedom to go out and get a flip phone. No one's forcing you do, a smartphone. You do, but to on. a certain degree, you beyond that, you don't have the freedom to unless unless you're you're willing to become completely self sufficient. You you are required to participate. Here's the thing, and this is what it, these conversations always end up coming back to because you know people send, tend to be pretty immovable in how they think about these ideologies. I do really believe that we both want the same thing. We just have different opinions on how to get there and i think there has been a lot of demonization lately uh and starting bernie really brought this into the fore with just the idea that there's too too many people with too much money and i just don't know what too much money is like where you sort of draw the line a billion dollars is too much money but why if you've earned it but what does that mean to earn a billion dollars if you've actually sold, if you voluntarily sold products to in people. the free market, that the free market have valued at right, but it's a, but it, but that's the thing. It's like it's it's this. No, you don't. No one needs a billion dollars. That's that's true, right? And and again, they should be taxed at a high. So they, yes, it, our tax system this, is, is this ridiculous. is where we yeah. we agree. I think, and I think, and I think that we would, you know, as a product of of taxing billionaires astronomically, we would have less billionaires, which would be the system checking itself and that's that's the issue i mean that's the that's the starting point is that we need to have a system that actually believes in its own checks and balances okay i i, I get it i do think personally where i probably differentiate from both of you is that I, I i do maybe a higher tax bracket per se but i it shouldn't be so high that it's a felt as a punishment for making too much money i think you run that risk i agree i agree but it's not a punishment Right, but, but 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 the notion of a punishment eliminates any sense of civic duty, any sense of like the, this this notion that if you're going to get taxed too high, you're going to move to another country. That's 
you're you're arguing for the Warren Buffett rule, basically, which is what our what Warren Buffett was saying. What he told Obama was that it was completely ridiculous that my secretary pays a higher tax rate than I do, and she makes forty thousand dollars a year. And he said that had to be corrected. And then he gave an entire sort of synopsis of what happens when wealthy people are like him are taxed at an appropriate level. They actually end up investing more because they want to make up for that money that they're being taxed. So they actually end up putting more money into the economy. That is a, a democratic economic philosophy. They call it middle out economics. The idea that when there's more money to be spent in the, the economy, in the right, um, rather than trickle down. It's arithmetic. Right. If you well, take yeah. more money from people who have all the money and you put it back into the system, that includes people who have, don't have as much money, then everybody has more money and everybody does better. Yeah, yeah. Well, including them, including the rich people. That's the Warren Buffett okay. idea. That, like, like, in other words, someone who makes a billion dollars a year is not going to go out and buy fifty-eight pairs of pants. You know, even no matter how much money you have, you're probably only going to buy two or three right. pants. Which is why we don't need year, billionaires. Right? Well, we see, but that's the thing. It's not that we don't need them. We need them to pay an appropriate tax rate. Right. We need to, them to pay an appropriate enough tax rate that they are no longer billionaires. <laughs> Why, though? Why do we have to? That's taking their money and that they earn. If they legitimately earn, if they stole the money, that's, then that's it's exactly yeah. what I'm. That's exactly what I'm saying. Is that if, you, if you increase the tax rate that much, it's, it's, it's punishment for being a billionaire. Bill, uh, Bill Gates earned, or let's take Bezos. Bezos engages in voluntary exchanges with you. Why? At what point do we say, you've done enough of that. You can keep doing the voluntary exchanges, but we're going to now take everything off the top. Why, why is that any more punishment than it is to somebody who makes $30,000 a year relative to their income and their lifestyle? It's not dramatically changing Bezos' lifestyle. No. And that's why he should pay more taxes. And people who make 30 grand should pay less taxes, you know? And also, no, and pay, people who, pay, who make $30,000 a year shouldn't have to, you know, worry about going bankrupt when they need a surgical procedure. Of course. And that's why I'm, I was just, I, I, you basically took the words right out of my mouth because I was just going to give you my trademarked libertarian, libertarian view of universal healthcare. I'm the only liberal who sometimes leans libertarian that will give you this this viewpoint but my my idea is that the our health and our health our healthcare system is so expensive because we are subsidizing all the people that cannot pay there's 40 million people who are uninsured right but a libertarian will always say it's about our freedoms you know our freedoms and they want the freedom to not have health insurance what i say is when do your freedoms start to impinge on my, when does your freedom to not carry insurance start to impinge on my freedom to pay a lower premium? When it gets to that argument, the logical solution is universal health care. We have to, at, at, at certain points, say we are all in this together. We're all going to get sick. Eventually, we're all going to need some kind of health care. So let's have this be the one thing in society, well, not the one thing, but along there with police and fire and everything else, let's have this be one of those things where we all pay into because we're all going to need it. And that would then make it inherently less expensive because we wouldn't have all these people paying for the 40 million people that don't have insurance. That would be a start, but then you'd also have to essentially eliminate industry from 
healthcare because that's where the cost, I mean, that's where the costs build up. Like the cost disparities of, of you know, one surgery, you know, first of all, consolidation of hospitals, they, they get to decide what their rates are for any particular procedure compared to some completely disparate rate at another hospital for the same procedure. Each hospital contracts a different biomedical produce, you know, device producer and the, the, the cost is just, you know, standardizing that stuff, you know, taking, eliminating the need for hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in, in public relations expenditures for, for uh, pharmaceutical companies and, you know, all of the ways they cut corners and, and maximize profits and explicitly focus on medications that are lifetime medications instead of, instead of actually investing in care, not even the cure. No, I'm not, no, well, the cure is one thing. Like, yeah, working on medications to cure is, is great. You're saying there's an incentive structure to, to treat cancer rather than cure cancer. There's an, well, that's a financial one, that's incentive. one thing I'm saying, right. but there's also, there's an incentive to, uh, you know, sell, sell people for their entire lives, Big Macs and Coke, and then sell them the pills to treat the diabetes and the hypertension rather than teach them at the outset that and, and rein in uh, industry to the point where people are not tricked into poisoning themselves. And again, you can argue that it's people who have the freedom to do whatever they want, but people, I mean, free, free will is, is, the notion that anyone has free will is, uh, in this day and age, is just farcical. This is getting very deep now, and this this could spark a three hour more conversation. It, it's what this is what you were most scared about when you decided to do this podcast. You were like, "This is no, going to end is up being what six I hours." Was most excited about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but the, the the notion that that we are bombarded with commercials from the day we're born, and expected to be able to make educated decisions about our diet and our healthcare and our level of activity. People won't put a piece of cloth over their face to prevent spit coming out of their face. But that's why you have to have good parents that instill values. I mean, it's, yeah, but those we parents get... were taught by the same system. I know, I know. And you know, these are these uh, that goes back to our whole discussion we had a few podcasts ago about societal inequities. When you when you live in a community, right, as a result doesn't... of a capitalism capitalistically driven. See, that's uh, where we're coming uh, to to uh, to. Uh, you know, an impasse here because, you know, it's, uh, to me, it's not the capitalists, the, the, this, the inequities can exist inside a socialistic system as well. Of course. Oh can. yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah I, no, I agree. Capitalism I agree. is just a word. It's really just a word that means ownership. It, it, it just means it's so ideological for what you make. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know that's what it means, but if, if, if your if your company makes poison and you got to figure out a way to get convince all these idiots to take poison, that's why that's regulation, why regulation, is, regulation very good. is and good. that's who mm -hmm. that's why I'm a democrat ultimately that's the difference that's the that's why we're, we we have a lot more in common here because I am saying that if a if a coal company wants to dump their waste in a river you need the government there to protect the health and no. safety right. Uh, right. right and I think there needs to be more regulation I was a huge Obama fan because I did I thought his regu the the regulation he put in place was usually just and and appropriate I hated and you love predator drones too right <laughs> here you go wait you, so you you weren't you're not an Obama fan I I I think he spoke to uh I uh, an idealism that we had that it turns out uh, didn't exist this see, this is such a fascinating conversation, Jay, because this is how we got Bernie. It's pe it, I think there's just a massive amount of people like our friend Andrew here 
that just that ha- that that believe this. What did you say? It's cynicism that's driven you here, based on the cynicism current system about the system. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. I think well, it depends on what your definition of cynicism is. I, I, I've, I've, I don't know where I heard this definition, but cynicism. I once read uh, it was defined as or a cynic, I should say, is a an optimist who's been let down perpetually, and that's how I would describe myself. I am eternally optimistic about people's ability to do good, which is why I probably trust people more than I should uh, to do the right thing. And I, and I put faith in people to do what they say they're going to do. Uh, but uh, for my entire adult life, I've, uh, I've been proven wrong. I mean, when I say cynicism, I speak to the classical definition, which is more skepticism. It's it reads as yeah, but that's skepticism. It reads as an inclination to it, well, it's, it's, they're synonyms. It's an inclination to believe that pe- people are motivated purely by self-interest, and I would argue that they are exactly the same thing. Um, if you could, if you want to look it up on Merriam-Webster, you can. <laughs> but it's that people are motivated by self-interest. That's that's cynicism, and that is that is what I what I'm asking is drive if that's driving you towards the socialist system. In that answer, Andrew, then answer the follow-up to why you think the solution for that is to give more of your money and your and the power that you have to the federal government who is how who will always have just a bunch of in it. Like the government our government especially is just ugh. Right. So that's why we have to have different people in the government. Yeah. You're talking about the the burn it down and start from scratch kind of thing. Burn it down, sure. B-E-R-N. Yeah. <laughs> it applies in medicine a lot because, you know, things are constantly being revisited and, and reconsidered and, and rediscovered. But uh, just because you've been doing it the same way forever doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. I don't know you. You know, we should say your wife is also a physician like you. I'd, I'd be willing to put money on the fact that you and your wife combined probably make more money than me and my wife, which is great. I love that. I, I wish you made more. I wish you'd made double what you make right now. Just that would be my wish for you just because I like you and I think you deserve it. <laughs> but if somebody, if somebody like, came, I'll throw some bones. Yeah, if somebody said that they were going to take 70% of your income, your combined income, and that was going to go to the government and that a group of bureaucrats that you didn't elect, that you had that that you know you have no idea who that is, or were then going to decide the best way to redistribute that. So just in the name that you can be economically equal with your neighbor, would you be cool with that? Like if we're talking about hypotheticals, then I can hypothetically say that the people in government uh, have you know, actual human interests at heart. Right. Uh, just as much as you can imply that let's they are that, careerist let's just, politicians. Let's assume that... they're all spawns of Bernie Sanders, like literally. <laughs> and they are all sitting down and saying, we are going to take 70% of the money and we are going to give it to uh, the guy who's down the street who, it, you know, works at McDonald's. But that's not, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in... So the thing, the thing, the thing that gets sort of uh, mixed up too much, and and I think that it's the thing that that Bernie had to sort of play to uh, in order to to gain traction is that he had to play a little bit more to uh, identity politics than than he really wanted to, and I think the reason for that is that people are are 
people like to identify a, you know as part of a certain group and it's you know basically what's, it's tribalism it makes us human you have specific demographics of people accusing him of not speaking enough to their particular group but the issue the i think the thing that was frustrating is that the, the underlying tenets of what he is talking about uh healthcare, fair wages they they eliminate those those needs for uh, for identity politics, because LGBT uh, rights are, are are healthcare based and are employee uh, employment based, and Black Lives Matter is 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 an issue. I mean, it, it involves every aspect of 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 um, welfare, government welfare, well, government distribution of fun, of resources. Welfare is wrong. You sort of skirted around the answer of I, if I if I know that it's going towards a universal healthcare system. Workers' rights, you know, equity in 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 the workplace, in equity in um, in people's ability to create a life for themselves. Then yes, absolutely. Well, then maybe you are a true so socialist. But where's the where are the checks and balances inherent in that system? Because what you don't know is how that money's being utilized. They may be making more than they need to create those systems and doing something else with the rest of the money. Who's looking in on that? What system is that ever what Andrew, a certainty? What, I mean, what Andrew is saying here is in this theoretical system where everyone's good in the government. Right, okay, got it, right. <laughs> right. But, but that's a, that doesn't exist. It, it does, it, and it never will. It never will because power corrupts. It just does. Absolute power it, corrupts, absolutely. I've it heard. Does. Yeah. I've heard, yeah. yes. so, so government is always going to be corrupt. Every government, any government that's ever tried all over the world. And the governments that are given more power are the governments that end up being the most corrupt. So it is the beauty in the American system. And you is, know who puts those governments in power? Yeah, no. Bill Gates. Like us. <laughs> I was going to say the CIA, but, but yeah. But, but that's that's the beauty of our system is that the checks and balances and the, the lack of power that the government has over our lives is inherent in the fact that we, you know, in our everyday lives as Americans, that we don't have the government and there are parts of the system that that work here. I mean, Robert and I were talking about the Supreme Court the other day, right? So our president who, you know, in, in the executive appoints judges that he thinks are going to vote for him. Absolutely. And they go ahead and they do exactly the opposite. That's our system working in, in, a, in a good. Well, that's how that's someone having any sort of moral compass or. I love the fact that in the American system, you have people with a lot of money who are able to contribute more than their tax dollars were due. Like for instance, remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, he, his dad is extraordinarily wealthy. I mean, extraordinarily wealthy. And he gives most of his money to philanthropic causes. I mean, like to really, really good guys causes, to arts yeah, programs. But so did, and so did the Sacklers and so did the Koch brothers while they were, while they were killing people. Like what, what, what is that? That's it's, a straw man. No, That's not, a straw man argument thing. because he, uh, because doesn't do that <laughs> he just gives oh that's why so <laughs> everybody else is a straw man he's the only it, it man creates man. the opportunity for both and i think in any scenario it creates the opportunity for both and that's the problem is you can't regulate each person's household and they're gonna some people are gonna do good some people are gonna do bad and you hope it nets out positive but i think the, the people who and this is a generalization on my part sure but the people who are of a mind to be ambitious enough and ruthless enough to become billionaires are not in the nice people uh, category by and large. Well, what, what defines ruthless? I mean, what did Jeff be With take? Lacking Ruth. 
<laughs> because you know think think about the think about the amount of people i think i think amazon employs something like you know a couple hundred thousand people worldwide i mean there's a couple hundred thousand people that are eating today because they work for amazon now you could say but they should be getting paid more what i'm saying is who decides i could be that? saying that yeah. <laughs> although i hear they have a great geriatric athletic program where they have to run from one end of the factory to the other end of the factory and they time them and then they expect them to do better the next there, time. There's been a lot of discussion over the the, the conditions of uh, working at an Amazon factory and how it's not uh, as good as other places. So 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 then don't work there. That's that's the truth. Yeah. Well, that yeah, that's the problem. But these are the people who have been put out of business by no, that I get. companies I get that. like I get Amazon for sure in the first place. Yeah, I think it's a call for more regulation in what you're talking about. I don't think it's a call for sure. a different system. I think sure. they're calling for more regulation there. Well, I mean, I think right. the system. Yes, like but, we were, but a system with more regulation eventually becomes a different system. Hey, we had this guy Adam McLeod on, uh, who's a guy who he's a law, he's a law professor. He's on the right. He specializes in speaking on civil discourse. So he was he was talking about how um, we asked him a question about you know, how much the free market should take care of, and it started it sort of sparked a debate because. Like you take something like the Masterpiece Cake Shop that didn't want to bake the cake for the gay couple. Should there be a government regulation to, uh, you know, come down on those people? Or should that be left to the forces of the market, whereby if they do things that are unpopular, eventually people stop going to that cake shop and then they go out of business. I just would rather the market and the individual deal with those problems than the almighty government that usually does things in a very corrupt manner. I thought I remembered hearing you guys talk about cancel culture. Well, how is that different from cancel culture? Yeah. I, I, wait, assuming that you are anti-cancel culture. We are anti-certain types well, what's, of culture. How do you make culture. the distinction? Uh, uh, the distinction is if you're canceling somebody over things they said 30 years ago. Like, I mean, we've had lots of, of drinks in our lives together, you know? if it, I'm a different person now than I was 20 years ago. So if I was running for office and you were secretly recording me and I said something misogynistic and then someone says, well, he can no longer run for president or in, not only that, we're going to ruin his life. We're going to ruin his reputation. We're going to come after him because he said something that we don't agree with 20 years ago. That's bad, cancel culture. Yeah, but, is that, but isn't that up to the free market of people or Twitter to decide. And if it doesn't gain traction, it doesn't gain traction. And that's why just the other day I was defending this Goya thing. You know, the Goya bean guy who came out pro-Trump. A lot of people on the left were saying, let's boycott Goya. To me, that's a natural free market thing. I had an actual exchange with somebody about this on Facebook because someone was saying, well, it's too much. You know, what do beans have to do with politics? To me, it has everything to do with it because it's up to Because we're all consumer. human beans. <laughs> all human beans, right? And podcasts. Yeah, and podcasts, right there. That's <laughs> Can it. that be the title of that show? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, these, these, are, we're, these are deep concepts. And, uh, you know, we could sit here and talk about them for hours because... Uh, I've got my computers plugged in and I've got a bottle of whiskey. I'm good. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, this is a blast. No, Jay, this I was going to say this is our this is our first ever debate. We did an interview and a debate. So, we want to thank our friend Andrew for coming on the show. Dr. Andrew that is. It was uh an interesting conversation. We learned some about COVID, we learned some about healthcare, we learned some about socialism. So, uh we've 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 covered the spectrum. Thank you very much for coming on and uh say hi to the fam for me. This is great. Thanks uh thanks guys. It was a lot of fun.
Absolutely. All right. Well, that was a wonderful and informative interview, if I've ever heard one. Thanks, guys, so much for joining us for this special bonus edition of Down the Middle. We will be returning next week with all your favorite stuff. So big thank you to Dr. Andrew and to Professor Cogman for giving us this week's Buzz History. And uh, that's about all I got. So don't forget to go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on the air. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, at Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and at Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. And if that's too confusing for you, you can always go to our website where it's listed there for you altogether. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can follow me at, uh, at Justin Siegel and follow Riz at, at Rob underscore Lifer. Visit our Discord and mix it up with us. Let's talk politics. You can ask questions. We'll answer them on air as well. The link is in our socials. And don't forget, we have new t-shirts. You can wow your friends by promoting moderate change done incrementally. Go pick one up right now. And that's all we got. All right, listeners, until next week. Mm -hmm.